Hey everybody, this is Nate Smoyer, and you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around. You're in the right place. Hey everyone, Nate Smoyer from Real Team Panda, and I am so pumped to bring to you today's guest from Atlas 1031, Tom Gustafson. We're going to talk about 1031s, what they're used for, how they can save you thousands of dollars on your next real estate transaction, and some special scenarios like how's it work with cryptocurrency, or what if you own a property with your brother and your uncle. Uh, stay tuned. This can be a great conversation. By the way, at the end of the conversation, do me a favor. Would you like, share, comment below if you learned anything or have any questions about this topic? All right, here we go. Thanks so much for agreeing to uh, do this discussion and talk about the topic of 1031 exchanges. It comes up a ton, especially uh, for people who are working as a realtor and investor. But uh, hey, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Sure, Nate. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited to be here and really excited to discuss with you today, 1031 exchanges. I'm passionate about it and there's a lot to cover. Um, but uh, I am uh, Tom Gustafson. And I'm with Atlas 1031 Exchange. Uh, we're based out of Orlando, Florida and have a regional office in the Panhandle of Florida as well. We've been around for 15 years and basically uh, seen it all. Um, and uh, we have accommodated uh, transactions here domestically all over the country and even do a lot internationally as well. Um, so I'm sure we're going to cover some of that today. And I'm just excited to kind of get into some of the basics and even some of the more complex stuff that we'll talk about. But I think it'll all be really accessible for anyone that has never heard of a 1031. Uh, and I also think it'll be fun and interesting enough that it's not going to be, you know, boring and, uh, and bounce worthy. So, <laughs> There's no guarantee it won't be boring. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, not hey, making this, that guarantee. This shirt. I mean, we've got to, we've got to keep the, the game up, you know, and you've got the rightful paper company on the wall. So we're in, uh, we're in really good shape. <laughs> it's true, true. And I've got my, my, uh, I'm using my wife's coffee cup here, you know, there very, you very pretty. So That's, it's all yeah. good. Well, hey, uh, let's just jump into it then. So what are some of the basics? of a 1031 exchange. Absolutely, so if you were to hop on Google and put in 1031 exchange, you're gonna see some, some consistency. Uh, one of the first things that's gonna jump out is the two numbers, 45 and 180. And this is usually what most realtors, most uh, investors know about. It's uh, okay, yeah, I know that there's two timetables. What are they? Why are they important? So uh, we'll start there. So uh, once you close on a relinquished property as, a, as a, what we call a taxpayer, so that's the language I use. Taxpayer. So when, when you sell a property? Correct. When you sell okay. a property as a taxpayer, that starts a clock. And it's a very inflexible clock that is set forth by the Internal Revenue Code Section 1031, where 1031 Exchange gets its name. Mm. So you have 45 days from the day that you close to identify property that you're going to replace with. Now, we'll probably talk a lot today about relinquished properties, which is the one that the taxpayer, you, the client owns, and then the replacement property, which is where the like kind of exchange comes in. So that replacement property has to be identified in 45 days. Uh, and from the moment you close on your relinquished property, you also start a second ticker, and that's called the exchange period. Uh, and that means you have 180 days to not only identify, but then close on your replacement property. Now, these are extremely inflexible um, to the extent that I won't even ex explain the very nuanced, you know, flexibilities of it, but that, that's basically what you should, as um, an individual that's interested in 1031, think 45 days to identify, 180 days to close. And those are calendar days. So if that falls on Christmas, too bad. You've got to get your, your transaction completed by that time or your identification done. Um, secondly, 
we're going to talk probably more detail about like kind, um, but like kind. Well, is I was going to ask you about that. You you mentioned yeah. that, but I don't know what that means. Yeah. So like kind uh, is uh, a term that's extremely general, and it essentially stands for uh, if you have a property that you hold and you have a fact pattern that backs up that is an investment. Um, if you relinquish that property or sell that property and replace it with a property, that property also must be used for investment purposes. Um, there are other types of transactions where you could use a, a property that's been used for trade or business, but primarily the bulk of our work at Atlas 1031 is done with individual investors uh, and their properties. So uh, let's, for example, let's use a real life example. Let's say you have a uh, condo uh, at the beach. You've had it for 10 years, you wanna sell it, it's highly appreciated. Um, you would be able to, as long as you qualify for all the other uh, grid of the grid that we would walk through to make sure that the, the, the transaction qualifies, you would qualify to be able to sell that property and then you could replace that property with a warehouse or timberland or a lot or uh, you know an apartment building or a so DS. like kind just means investment? Exactly. Like kind just means that your intent for your relinquished property was investment and your intent for your replacement property is also investment. Now, so I'm not selling and then buying a personal. Exactly. My dream home. Okay. Exactly. And, and to that point, let's drill into that really quick. You, a primary residence is not eligible for a 1031 exchange. Uh, so I can't just upgrade my fourplex to the dream no. home. Okay. No, you would have to. Uh, and that's a little more. We can talk about that later, but there are ways to eventually get into it. But for the for where we are in the conversation now, primary residence not eligible. You can't sell your primary residence and 1031 in. You can't sell an investment property and replace with a property that you expect to move in as your primary residence. Got so that's it. really important. And honestly, that's one of the top questions that we get. People will call in and say, hey, I want to do a 1031 exchange. We'll drill down and then we'll find out, oh, yeah, this is their primary residence or they're looking to buy a new one. Um, in addition to the 45 and 180, the like kind rule, um, there's also an important piece that the same taxpayer who sells needs to be the same taxpayer who buys. So the question we always ask is who's on title? Uh, so that could be an LLC, S Corp, C Corp, an individual, um, so on. Uh, that individual has to track through the transaction and be, have the tax responsibility for both properties. Um, so that's an important piece that often people don't understand. Um, and I guess finally, just to round it out, um, in order to uh, defer 100% of the capital gain and depreciation recapture, which is the whole point of the 1031 exchange. That's uh, the follow-up here. Why am I even bothering okay, doing so, all that? Yeah, let's just get into that then. So why even do this, right? Um, essentially, IRC section 1031, where 1031 exchange gets its name, mm -hmm. um, was has been in the tax code for almost as long as it's existed. So it's almost a hundred years old. Now the, the service or the IRS has been modifying it over the past hundred years. So we have a, now we're in a different place than we were say 60 years ago with our modern rules. Um, but it's all documented through revenue procedures and that's what we do as qualified intermediaries. Uh, and that's another basic point. You, you, you need to have an, uh, a, an, un, uh, an unbiased third party involved in the transaction um, and that's what, that's what I do. I'm a qualified intermediary. So I would help you qualify your transaction based on the tax code. I would also hold your funds in escrow until you're ready to, re to release them for the replacement property because it's key that you as the taxpayer cannot have constructive receipt of your funds at any time in the process or else the 1031 becomes void. Okay. So I can't actually like 
I can't sell the house, take some of the money out and then go use it for my 1031 exchange. Right. So you, so two things there. One, if you were doing a 1031 exchange, you could take some money out at the beginning and just pay capital gains tax on it, which is mm. called partial exchange. But to your point as to what we're talking about, uh, you're unable to have any constructive receipt of the funds. And, and that also means, oh, well, I have another bank account that I won't touch. Now it doesn't work like that. You have to have almost a trustee or someone uh, that's outside of your, uh, your circle, um, manage that, those funds for you. And by that, it just means put them in a qualified escrow account, hold them there until you replace the property within 180 days. Mm -hmm. Then they will wire the money to your new, say, title company or closing attorney, and the transaction's complete. But if at any point, let's say you've received funds, it's null. And what else is important about that is, we get calls from people all the time who said, hey, I closed on my property last week. Can I do a 1031? And the answer is no. Um, because if, if you're already- So you gotta have this in motion before you yes. close. Yes, and so that's, let's talk about that really quick. One, that when, so when should you talk to a, a qualified intermediary, right? Well, the sooner you know that you're interested in 1031, the better. Um, yeah. but technically speaking, uh, we, we typically like two weeks prior to closing. So let's say you have a house on the market, uh, and your house is in contract. That's a good time to contact a qualified intermediary, um, to just get the conversation going. If maybe you're not an educated investor who's aware of 1031s well before, if you find out about it at a, at a cocktail party, uh, and you're in contract, that's a great time. Call, call me, right? Call a qualified intermediary to figure out where you are in the process. Um, but also one thing we pride ourselves on is we get calls all the time for people who are like, I found out about a 1031 today. I'm closing tomorrow. Can you pull it off? And the answer is yes, absolutely. We can put all of our effort and focus on an individual's closing and get it done. We could, we've done it before where people have waited on the closing table. Um, so we can do that. It's not ideal. Um, but you want to, you want to talk to a qualified intermediary at, you know, at least, I would say two weeks out out of respect for your title company or your closing attorney, um, but we can make it happen faster. Um, but that's what's really important there. And there's a lot of information that we just ran through, but <laughs> important is if you closed, it can't happen. Um, there are, there's one really minute way to make that happen, but it's something we're talking about. Um, so for all intents and purposes, if you've closed, it's a no go. Um, and, if you find out about a 1031 a day before we as Atlas can still make it happen. Got it. So you said a lot of things there. Um, they throwing a lot at me, but okay. So you're doing a lot of things. Okay. We got a 45 day time period. Yeah. You got a 180 day time period. You're managing someone's money, whether it's 300,000 or 30 million, right. you know, I, I, yeah. I assume someone yeah. can do Absolutely. that much. Mm -hmm. What, how much does this cost to do and why is it worth just not pay? Why not just pay the capital gains? Yeah, well, it's a great question. Um, well, just to address them in order, um, for a forward exchange, which is one taxpayer selling one property and replacing with one property, uh, you can find it anywhere around $1,000. Um, our fee is 850. So we're a little bit lower than the average, but you can find it lower. So if you really want to dig, you can find someone that'll even beat our price. Um, typically qualified intermediaries will get paid two ways. One is at closing as part of the closing costs. It's just a check to the intermediary. Um, and as you mentioned, the money in escrow, um, as we hold your net sales proceeds in a, in a qualified escrow account that's non-commingled, that's linked to your tax identification number, uh, that is a 
three-way security signature, so nothing's moving without your authorization. We also uh, collect the interest on the funds as they sit in the account. Um, and that's, you know, 135 basis points. So for color, uh, for every hundred grand, it's about $3 and 70 cents a day. <laughs> so it's not crazy. And, and in some transactions, you've got a, a, a taxpayer who's like this happening this week, selling on Tuesday, replacing on Friday. We just wire the funds directly to the title company that doesn't exist. So, so those are the two ways transparently, you know, those are two ways that we get paid. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and now to ask the question kind of, you were saying, well, when does it make sense? Um, you know, one thing that we pride ourselves on is we don't force anybody to do 1031s. We don't sell them, right? So what we do is talk with individuals who find out about 1031s and are interested in deferring capital gains and depreciation recapture uh, up to 100% if you, if you do it appropriately. Um, and then really that, it comes back to the individual. Does this make sense for the individual? Um, we always encourage our taxpayers to, to speak with their CPA to calculate the capital gain because it's different in every state. It's even different in every city. There are some borough capital gain taxes that you know, are, are applied in New York. So it's tough to know as a qualified intermediary uh, exactly how everything's gonna come together for your gain and we can talk big numbers. Um, but that's, that's really important also to have a CPA in the mix to, to make sure that um, it's even worth it for you because, you know, you asked about pricing and that's probably the most, the least expensive way to do it. There's also reverse exchanges where let's say you find a property first that you have to have because it's a killer deal. Um, right. Your other investments, not even on the market yet. What do you do? Well, there's a, there's a, a, a type of exchange called a reverse exchange where you can purchase uh, through what's called an exchange accommodating title holder, which is what we do, um, that property. And then you have 180 days to sell your, uh, your relinquished property. So it's, again, it's the reverse of the forward. Um, those are roughly around $5,500. So they're much more expensive because mm -hmm. they're riskier. There's more to it. Um, but it's a great tool to know that you have um, as an investor. Okay. So, man, there's so many things here. And I feel like we could go forever on this and I, I, I want to keep us on a somewhat of a timeline here, but that's all good. Okay. So here's, here's one thing though. Uh, so I've got a rental property. I also have the luxury of student debt. Can I sell my rental property and just say, you know what? I want to, I want to pay off that student debt, but I don't want to pay those capital gains. I'm going to take the profit from this rental sale and just pay off my student debt and wash my hands. Can I do that? No, you can't. Uh, one of the things that's ineligible, right, for, uh, for the use of your funds is debt relief. So that actually applies even in your transaction. Uh, we just talked about, okay, what is a 1031? Well, a 1031 allows you to defer your capital gains and depreciation recapture. Um, in order to do that to 100%, the 100% degree, you need to carry over the net sales proceeds so the, uh, and also the debt from your original property. So let's say you have a hundred grand in debt in your relinquished property. You need to equal that value in debt in your new property because that's also considered debt relief. So um, it, the, the easiest way to think about it is if you're selling a property for 400,000, you want to look for a property for 400,000 um, to be able to offset 100% of the gains in depreciation recapture. Um, there's more detail to it, but for the sake of our conversation, that's probably the quickest way to think about it. But to your point about debt relief, that also applies within the transaction. Okay. All right. So let, let's, uh, you know, there's a few, probably maybe uh, one or two, hopefully investors 
watching this, right? And they're saying, this is great. Okay, I'm learning a bunch of things. I want to pick up the phone. I'm going to call someone who does 1031 exchanges today. Yeah. What are the questions that they should be thinking through to ask their intermediary? Because obviously, just like hiring a contractor or yeah. hiring a realtor, they're not all equal, are they? No, not at all. I, so um, the few questions that I would, I would really encourage an investor to ask is number one, is there a CES or certified exchange specialist on staff? Um, my, my dad who started the business 15 years ago is a CES. Um, that's a, the highest, uh, certification you can get as a QI domestically. And it's and who, a, who gives uh, that certification, uh, the Federation of exchange accommodators who are okay. the only governing body of QIs domestically. So that'd be my second thing. Is this QI part of the FEA? Um, the FEA all, not only, um, it, it does the CES certification course, it also, there's a code of ethics that goes along with being a part of the FEA. There's a background check. So, um, you know, one thing you read, and so there's no reason about being, uh, you know, coy about it, but there's no regulation or licensing that's needed to be a QI, which is terrifying, which means that- You're saying this weekend I go down to the notary yes. and I could be a qualified intermediary. You don't need to do that. You can print a business card. It's terrifying. <laughs> so, right, and it's, it's embarrassing. Well, there you have it, folks. I'm Nate Smoyer, you qualified intermediary. Oh, this was great. <laughs> uh, so it's terrifying. And, you know, when I do a lot of education, um, where I sponsor courses or things of that nature. And whenever it comes to this point, people are like aghast. Like, what do you mean? There's literally no regulation for you to hold someone's, uh, all of their money in escrow. And that's just the way it is. So I'll just call a spade a spade. Um, okay, so we got to find out if they have, uh, say, say those things again. Sure, so are they, is there a CES on staff? Okay. Certification, uh, what that's going to do is it's going to let you know that you're working with someone that's competent. Uh, there's a, the, the joining of the FEA, uh, being a member there, which we find very important because it's a accountability and governing body of, of qualified intermediaries. We also, I would also ask if they carry, carry error and emissions um, insurance. Um, I would ask them, do they commingle the funds? Um, as in, your money, Nate, is in just a one account with all these other people's money, right? Um, or do they use qualified escrow agreements, which is what we use, uh, which again is a three signature move. So nothing's going anywhere without your approval. Um, and then finally, I would find out how long they've been in business um, and if they have any references. Um, because most, you know, if, if someone's been in business for 15, 20, 25 years, in a lot of ways, a lot of that business is coming from doing great work with others and being honest and upright in the way that you handle yourself. Um, so that'd probably be the, the best uh, way to approach it. Okay. All right. So now, now we're going to try and move in. I got about five questions left. All right. <laughs> and these are, these are like scenario type questions. Okay. okay? And uh, we'll see if, uh, see if you can handle these. All right, so doing a little bit of research, and I think you mentioned this earlier. You mentioned something about this. Uh, 1031 exchange, can you utilize that uh, with a, a 121 exemption? Yes. Uh, I've seen that came up, and I don't even know what the 121 exemption is, sure. so maybe you can touch yeah. on what that is, and then also, uh, can I leverage a 1031 exchange? Because I right. got confused in reading about it. Yes, so um, you and I were talking earlier about pr primary residences, right? Mm -hmm. So one scenario that we've seen um, is individuals who buy a property through a 1031 exchange. They hold that property for a minimum of two years as an investment. Uh, those two years that they hold um, satisfy, satisfies the IRS's safe harbors as uh, written in Revenue Procedure 2008-16. Then after two years, uh, there's eligibility 
to convert that property into a primary residence. So you can eventually use that, um, though it's not, the, 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 not, not what it's necessarily intended for. Uh, we see it happen every now and again. Um, but let's say you've owned that property now for five years. And I'm not a CPA, so CPA could probably speak more deeply into Section 121. But essentially what that is, is an, it's, it's an exclusion of capital gains, uh, which is, allows a taxpayer, whether they're filing independently or jointly, to defer, if they're filing independently, $250,000 worth of capital gains, or if they're filing jointly, $500,000 for the capital gains. So let's say you bought a home, and you, but you have to live in it for five years, uh, and you have, to, you have to own it for five years and live in it for at least two. So let's say your gain is just massive, and you've, you've, you've ticked off all the boxes that you've owned it for five, you've lived in it for two, you've rented it out for a couple, and your, your gain is just massive. It's a million dollars or something crazy. Um, you would be able to utilize Section 121 to defer a portion of the gain, and any leftover gain, you could use a 1031 to defer as well. So, took you on a ride there. <laughs> no, this is great because that actually applies. You know, I house hacked my way yeah. into getting a rental. Right. So, this would actually directly apply to me, yes. and I'm about and again, like five I'm, or six months short on that sure. living in yeah. it for two years. Right. Yeah, and I'm not a CPA, and I'm sure you probably will have a great one on the on your program. So I would definitely encourage you to bring up Section 121. Uh -huh. uh, but as far as I understand it, um, you're able to utilize those together, and therefore defer even more capital gains on a primary residence if you do the sequence in cor uh, correctly. Okay, so you touched on something right there. You mentioned, you know, you, you're sure I'm going to have uh, a CPA on my team. Yeah. Okay, so I got my I got my CPA. Uh, you know. For people who aren't their own licensed realtor, because I am, yeah. uh, I got my realtor, I got my qualified intermediary. Yeah. Who else do I need on my team to do a, a 1031 exchange? Well, that's a great question. I, I mean, you kind of covered it. You know, we when, in our conversations with taxpayers, we're consistently referring them to 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 their CPA or to another CPA if they don't have one to just be able to have to get the hard numbers that they're looking for to understand. Well, what exactly? am I deferring here in terms of capital gains and depreciation recapture? Um, and so I would say for sure a CPA. Um, if you're in a situation where you're in an LLC and you're looking to split up the LLC to be able to, or dissolve it to be able to do a 1031, I'd recommend you have a good real estate attorney. Um, they're just always really helpful to have insights from them. But really I would say the CPA is, is, is essential. Okay. That's good to know. Uh, we'll make sure we get one of those when we're ready to, to do our 1031 exchange. I'll call you up. I, I got to find that fourplex. I'm looking. Hey, if anybody watching this, this is the best time. Hey, anybody watching this, I'm looking for a fourplex. Okay. We've got a, we've got a single family home that would sell really nicely in Bellingham, Washington. I want to move it into a fourplex. I want to get that economies of scale. That's right. Let's get it All right. going. Um, okay. So, um, you know, I'm involved in, you know, I work with some real estate tech companies here and there. Uh, I just had a discussion yesterday with a company that is looking to do an ICO with backed by real estate assets. So a lot of people are looking at cryptocurrency uh -huh. and real estate. You know, there's a story of a guy out of Seattle who sold his home using cryptocurrency and all kinds of crazy stuff right. that made it difficult, but it's possible. So how does cryptocurrency and can that work with 1031 exchanges or right. what so do you know about regard, that? In regards to the home sale, I'm not very versed in that. So I, I can't really speak to that in, 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 in detail, but I, but you, if you search for 1031 exchange, a lot what will come up is 
individuals were trading cryptocurrency and using 1031s to kind of uh, work to, to vacillate between different types of cryptocurrency. Um, as of January 1st, 2018, um, one of the major changes over the entire uh, lifespan of a 1031 exchange happened, and that's that personal property was removed from the from the code. So last year, uh, and basically throughout the entire tenure, for the most part of, of, of 1031 exchange, you would be able to take a highly appreciated asset, such as a, an airplane, an instrument, a collectible car, something of that nature, and you would be able to 1031 exchange it, as well as cryptocurrency. So as of January 1st, no, that's no longer available. Well, all that's available for a 1031 exchange based on the law is real property. So, okay. Okay. All right. So here's, here's one off the wall for you. Can a non us citizen participate in a 1031 exchange? Yes. Uh, a non-citizen can, and let's go back to what we were talking about at the beginning about the basics of like kind. Um, so this, these two often go hand in hand. So one, one rule for like kind is that the, the Internal Revenue Service looks at all property in the United States, um, including Guam and the Virgin Islands, as long as you can establish that you're doing business in the Virgin Islands and excluding Puerto Rico <laughs> as like kind. What does that mean? You own a ranch in Montana, you can buy a condo in Florida. Uh, you, have a plate, you have a warehouse in Hawaii, you can buy a single family home in Washington. That's all considered like kind. Internationally, um, the rest of the world is essentially considered like kind to itself. So if you were to own, a, as you do, a condo in Ibiza, because you do, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, and you wanted to buy, um, you know, single family home in say, uh, you know, Stockholm, Sweden, that would be fine. You would be able to trade like kind throughout the world. Now, well, I often get here in, because I'm based in Orlando, Florida, which is a great market for international investment, is uh, Tom, I've got a client, uh, they own a home in Brazil and they wanna buy an investment property in Orlando. Can that work? And the answer is no, because that's not considered like kind. Hmm. So to answer your question, so that's just sort of set up to answer the question directly. Uh, if you have a non-citizen in the United States that as long as they have a, an IT, some sort of ITIN uh, or a, a, a taxpayer identification number, uh, so some have a social security number or they have an EIN from some sort of business entity, um, as long as there's a, a taxable entity that buys and sells, um, it's eligible. So they, but they would need to purchase property that fits the like kind rep, uh, uh, requirements, um, as I just explained. Um, now, is FERPTA involved? Yes. Is it complicated? Yes. But uh, 1031 also allows for deferral of the FERPTA withholding if done correctly. Um, so there's way to, to submit for the withholding certificate at the same time as getting your ITIN. Um, is all of this a little tricky? Absolutely. But the bottom line is, if you have an individual uh, who wants to, they absolutely can do a 1031 exchange. Okay, final question here on the scenarios. Uh, let's say I own, a, I own a, a fourplex. I find that fourplex, but you know, I got to buy it with my brother, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so my brother and I are on this and, you know, we didn't actually have enough. So we have a third party, non-family member. I don't yeah. know. So we have to get three people in, buying in on this fourplex, right? Yeah. We, and we agree, hey, we're going to sell it. Can I, can I 1031 and buy another property on my own? Can I, can I do that? Yes. Yeah. So in your scenario, let's say you have uh, uh, an, an uncle, your brother, and you all go in and you all have equal share of the property. Um, absolutely. As long as you're on title individually in your name, you can take your portion 
and 1031, your brother and your uncle can take their portion and pay the capital gains and depreciation recapture and be on their way. Um, now, what we see a lot of times is individuals in multi-member LLCs owning properties together for liability mitigation, of course. Of course. Um, so uh, what we see often is individuals who in that same scenario, two of my partners want the cash. I'm not ready to pay this capital gains and, and depreciation recapture. I want to defer it. Um, but we own it in an LLC. How, if the same taxpayer who sells is the one who has to buy, how does that work? Well, the most common method is what's called the drop and swap method. And essentially what this does is it allows you to um, dissolve your LLC uh, into tenants in common prior to the sale of the property. Hmm. And then now that you're in your individual names, you can move forward as an individual, into, as an individual and execute a 1031 exchange. Now, does that take away the, the, the liability coverage of the LLC? It sure does. Um, is it tricky, especially in states like California, where there's the, where there's the franchise tax board? Absolutely. Um, and can you do it the day before? you sell your property, yes, but it's not advisable. Um, from what I understand, the-, the, the What's the depth of that? It's, I mean, it's just, it's just, again, a lot of this is about fact patterns, about intent, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. so what you're trying to do is establish, yeah, we didn't do this to try and, you know, uh, you know cover up something or something. It's, it's the, the recommended uh, timeframe is if there's any way that you can dissolve the LLC in the previous tax period, so the previous year, then that is the best way to do it. It's way more complicated than we can cover today, but it's definitely doable. Um, and it's something that we hear about almost every day. I mean, it's very common. Um, so again, that's the most common method. There are others, but all of them are precarious in their own way. Uh, and I would recommend that methodology. Whew, that is a whole lot about 1031 exchanges. And now, now that you've just given me the free education, I'm gonna yeah. go out and uh, print a business card uh, qualified intermediary uh watch out oh, it's, a, it's a glamour profession as you can tell it's really it's hot right now kids are loving it now it's uh it's funny man it's a small fraternity of people um there are certain individuals like my dad yep. who have been in the game for over 15 years and he's seen it all and he um and then there are people that are really dedicated um also to lobbying to, to allow it to continue. Like I talked about in January 1st, it, there, it was on the block. It was something that could have gotten removed altogether. Oh yeah, yeah. It was big that only personal property was there, but you have people that are going to the Hill and they're lobbying saying, hey, we gotta keep this thing moving forward. So um, I'm excited to be part of it. As I'm sure you can tell from my enthusiasm, um, I, I really believe in the 1031 exchange as a, and I use the analogy as a, or the metaphor as a, as a golf club in the bag of an investor. <laughs> Again, it's not, it's not to say that it's right every time. And it's, sure. not, it's not right to look at it to go, gosh, every property needs to be 1031. That's not the yeah. case. Yeah. If you have a diversified portfolio that you're strategizing some flips, some buy and holds, it's just a great option that you should be discussing. And if you're like, you know what, doesn't make sense, great. Because there are a lot of rules and regulations and restrictions about it that if you just took the cash, paid the cap gains and the depreciation recapture, you'd be much more malleable to do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, but I believe in it and I think it's something that is really helpful. Well, thanks so much for sharing all this. This has been, uh, this has actually been eye-opening. I, I feel like 
this is, this is great. I got to find, I got to find more people who are just willing to tell me all their secrets, <laughs> you know, then that I could just yeah, go ahead and, and register as the yeah, expert. Yeah, but, uh, cool. Hey, look, so for people watching this, they got some, maybe they have some questions. They yeah. want to, you know, they maybe they want to follow up with you and talk, see if it's the right thing. How do people get in touch with you? Tom? Sure, absolutely. Well, um, I'll just kind of run it down here, but then any of our videos, I'll, I'll add my, my contact info on the comments, but, um, our websites, uh, atlas1031.com. That's ATLAS1031.com. Um, my uh, email is Tom Gustafson at Atlas1031.com. And you can also find that on the site. Um, and, you know, like I said from the beginning, this is all that we do. We're not, a, you know, we're not a subset of a, a larger company. We only do 1031 exchanges all day, every day. So it's, you know, we're working for our clients nights and weekends. Um, we're, we're passionate about making sure that this works out for them. So um, we're accessible, we're available, um, and, uh, and that's the best way to get a hold of us. Um, and uh, I'll also add my cell uh, to any of these as well so people can call me and um, we can talk through it. Sounds good. Well, appreciate it. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, if you guys have questions for Tom, make sure you hit him up and find out if the 1031 exchange is for you. If you guys learned anything from this uh, conversation, let us know, just like, share, comment on the video, uh, wherever you're seeing it posted here, and uh, we'll keep more of these coming at you. Thanks. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the TechNest podcast. Hey, don't forget, you can get on the email list so you'd never miss an upcoming episode. That's technest.io. That's T-E-C-H-N-E-S-T dot I-O. Get on the email list. Uh, go to the App Store, whether you found us in iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you found us. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.